Death Before Booze may discuss controversial or sensitive topics and is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Death Before Booze. I'm Sam. Episode. Oh, sorry. I'm Jen. Hi, Jen. Sorry about the episode for. (laughs) Okay, tell them now. What episode are we doing? It's episode 16, and it comes out on the 16th, which is crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) We didn't even plan that. It just happened. No, we didn't. We didn't plan that at all. We didn't plan it. But I'm excited. So. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. We're like the the um, the literature nerd. So this will be fun for all of you guys, the English majors out there. See, Mom, I told you I'd use my major one day. <laughs> one day I would use my English major for good. So, so we're talking about yep, go ahead. literary lore. I love the word lore. I do too. I don't even think this has anything to do with lore, but I just like literary lore. The the alliteration makes me happy. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, Just a quick, (laughs) I'm sorry if I sound like cocky. I have an upper respiratory infection. I'm coughing a lot and I apologize to Jen. Don't even cut them out because it'll take too long. You can just listen to me cough along with the rest of everyone. Thanks. It's literally, it's like every other time, like every other month, it's like we pass the sickness off to someone else. I don't get it, man. I've been sick since before Thanksgiving. It doesn't go away. That's true. It doesn't go away. I have that That's weird, true. it's not a cold, it's not a flu, it's not COVID. You're just dying. Figure it out. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Okay. And I have my tea with my peppermint honey. And... Or just gonna deal with it. It's so fun. Peppermint honey. Oh yeah, I got it in Mystic. It's this cute little place. There's like an olive oil place, and then there's like a honey place connected to it. I would love to tell you the name, but I don't remember it. But they're they're right across. I remember this. They're right across the like aisle or like street. It's not really a street. It's like a sidewalk. Um, from like the kitchen store called Kitch. It's like right across from that, like that big red building with like the water wheel or whatever and then with the ducks in the middle i I love the ducks. yeah the little kids i literally could i could i could sit there for hours and watch the ducks like i i am a child they have a new like harry potter themed place there that's like drinks and stuff and then they just opened what i think it's called like the haunted books shop or something and yeah, I've been there. Yeah. It's super cute. Me too. And it's next to the Alice in Wonderland tea shop. We should do high tea there one day. I would love that. Oh my God, we could I do high that. tea and we could talk about our literary lore and we could pretend we have British accents. And then go, no, I'm like a spot of tea, please. Do you have some crumpets? Could you imagine? I would do so After good. like five minutes, they'd be like, fuck you, get out. What are you? Are you guys, you need to leave. Yeah, I'd be like, who are you? Bye. Go away. So I wanted, because I know I go first this You week, go first. Yes, you but do. But I wanted to put up a little bit of a, a PSA. And Sam and I said we're going to tag team this one. Because my case has to do with um, mental health and suicidal thoughts and all that. And we wanted to just kind of make a PSA saying that we are, at Death Before Booze, we are very big advocates for mental health. If you are not feeling okay, please make sure that you, you reach out to somebody um and you feel okay because and we'll be those people like email us um i'm like i know that sam and i have our own issues with mental health but we are here for you we are trying to create a positive community that is uh, welcoming and warm and we're here so maybe that's our my kind of my um trigger warning is that this my case anyway deals with a little bit of mental health so if it is a little bit difficult for you i'm just letting you know off the top but we are uh, very yeah. strong advocates for it so and- we actually to be fully transparent for this episode um we actually have to re-record this episode and the reason that we're doing <laughs> such a thorough job 
of this PSA is because it was very triggering. I personally have been dealing with a lot of mental health issues for the past few years and specifically the past few months we're starting to get into the nitty-gritty of certain parts of it and I'm not exactly ready to talk about what's going on personally however the struggle is real and yes I what I really want to say once this starts is that no matter how you feel no matter what's going on in your head right now you're not alone like Jen said, there's a whole community. If you don't feel comfortable going to your, you know, your immediate inner circle because you don't want to be a burden, Jen and I are here. You can reach out to anybody, anybody out there in the world and just say, I'm here. You, you're you not alone. You're not the only one who's going through this right now or even ever. There are people out there who want to help you and you just need to get through this moment. Count down the second get through the minute, get through the hour, and you're going to come through and it's going to be great. And there's always a shoulder and somebody who wants to help you, whether you know them right now or you know them in a week. So make sure that when times are dark or times are tough, you let somebody know. Make sure that, you know, you're doing yourself the most service by reaching out. You're not burdening people. You're not causing problems for them. They would rather be with you in that moment than lose you. So keep that in mind. And with that, we're going to get into this. And if it does get to be a little too much, totally understand. Feel free to hit that fast forward. But please finish the episode because my my, my story, although dark, um, I swear we'll joke about it and we'll make a laugh and it'll be funny. Um. But also, again, just because sometimes it's really hard when you're in that moment and you're in, at your at the bottom. People are proud of you. We are proud of you. We love. Oh my you. god, I'm so we proud love. of you. I love you yeah. so much. You keep coming back and listening and to this craziness. I mean, yeah. obviously, you have good taste. And what I told Jen the other day, and this is something I stand true to: when you feel like you can do nothing right and nothing is going for you. You taught yourself how to create carbon dioxide 30 seconds out of the vagina. So obviously you do great things. Not everybody can just create carbon dioxide. That is true. That is true. Right? And sometimes you just need someone to tell you that. So um, I appreciated when Sam told me that. And I hope that that helps <laughs> someone. Because I was like, you know what? She's fucking I right. Know. <laughs> I have I'm crazy ideas, but sometimes they connect. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so was that out of the way? Um, but I am talking about a true badass today. I'm going to be Oh, my God. She's fucking amazing. She's such fucking. a badass. And I'm so glad that I went out of my comfort zone and went, you know what? Let me let me focus on. Feminism at its finest. So... Exactly. She was like the deep pioneer of the time. So this is wonderful. So she was born January 25th, 1882. So almost her happy early birthday in London. She was born to Leslie Stephen, who was the first editor of the Dictionary of National Biography. And he was a literary figure. And also Julia Jackson was mom. Both of them had past marriages with previous kids. Both of their partners died unexpectedly. Really? Now, I know what we're going to really? say. How unexpected was I it? I, Did they meet I each other before? <laughs> Could this be a sinister? I don't know. No. Um, again, you have to think about the time frame and those sicknesses and all kinds of bullshit so we're gonna give the two of them the benefit of the doubt and even though it looks a little suspicious they met after they had a blended brady bunch family i don't know if i don't know if he had like a killer instinct we should read all of his books and see if he left like clues And the index, luck. I murdered my wife. Yeah, like in the footnote, <laughs> like, you know, there's an asterisk for the end of the book. And it's just like, oh, by the oh, way, I killed God. my wife. Oh, oh, my goodness. Okay, they probably um, died from Spanish flu. It was probably so, really painful. I'm so sorry. 
Yeah, that's going to kind of come into play around this time and around this area. But um, Julia had three kids prior and Leslie had one. They got married and they had four more kids together. Oh, so so what, what did they anything else to do? No, like there were chores. Like you could clean a bathroom. But we talk about this every time when people have like wow, a multitude of kids. It makes my vagina <laughs> hurt. What is that? Like nine? That's like nine kids. Right. Three, four. Oh, eight. 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 But still, that's still a lot. That's, that's and then they outnumber you. You're no, playing I mean, zone defense at that point. Like, what? Can they not read Lord of the Flies? I would be petrified. So we have Vanessa, who is the oldest. We have Toby, Virginia. And then we have Adrian. So the really the only couple, like Vanessa and Virginia, are very close. I didn't really mention the stepkids' names because they come up later, but they're it's too many. Too many to count. I get that. So I understand. Virginia always had a passion for writing. Her family had a huge library. So I kind of just picture being a beast library where it's like extensive. Um, Because dad was, again, he he was into, he wrote books. He was an editor. So, and girls don't go to school because, you know, that's just, they don't. We're too smart. smart. We're too smart. We'd make the boys look bad. I mean, so she had access to everything. So all kinds of great things. She, even when she was younger, started writing her own family newspaper about like the events of their- Oh my God, thank you. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. So it's like she handed out like <laughs> she like just like Adrian got an A out of paper. Like oh my, well you have like what is that eight nine, at least ten people in your family? And, yeah. So you have to choose. Yeah. Like, everybody like who's going where? What's going? Oh my god. Um. Now when Virginia was thirteen, so eighteen ninety five. Unfortunately, her mother died, which kind of set her into a little bit of a depression. So she stopped writing for a while. After a while, was starting to emerge from the depression because sometimes it just takes a little bit of a push and a little bit of a try. A couple years later, her half-sister Stella ended up passing away. And then in 1904, her father died from stomach cancer. Mm. So after that time, Virginia had a little bit of a nervous breakdown, which it's it's within like a t- not even a 10-year span that you're losing all of these people. So it's very dramatic. Yeah, I can't wait for my next service breakdown. It's going to be huge. I can't. Great. I have a great time. While she was recovering, her oldest sister, Vanessa, and her um, got really close. Vanessa was kind of like mom. Um, eventually, Vanessa got engaged and she got married. And this kind of was a very happy time for hey. Virginia. Like, the, you know, let's help her plan stuff. And you know, her sister's having kids and everything's great. Um, 1906, a couple of years later, Toby ended up dying from typhoid fever. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on, a lot of diseases and garbage. I don't like it. Um, I don't like them at all. Aside from the traumatic deaths and everything, it was said later, she did eventually kind of admit to this, that she was... At a young age, sexually abused by her older stepbrothers. I George hate and that. Who, I go fuck that. Hate go that. Fuck themselves. Don't like that at all. Because of this, and mix it with a lot of the the trauma from the the diseases and the sickness, this kind of complicated her mental health a little bit. Which Bella hate go it. Go fuck themselves and go jump off a goddamn cliff because I hate you. Rude. So she did have. A, periodic nervous breakdowns so as you do eventually people did kind of have an idea of what she actually had because of course it wasn't um mental illness wasn't a big thing back then oh no you were just a hysterical woman who needs to go to the luna asylum like we get it yeah and then go there you have just just freaking oh you have ovaries just go to just we'll just put you away for a while Women are are lunatics, and that's just, yeah, that's just you. You're being, being hysterical. <laughs> Fuck. Oh my goodness. So, Virginia, though, during the time, she continued to write. She was determined to reform the novel during the time frame because we have um, the the 
Victorian era. We have all of these, you know, Charles Dickens Blech. and that kind of Blech. stuff. So she really wanted to kind of come with a different type of Thank God. genre, kind of make it a little bit more different, a little bit less traditional. I see. So, yeah. Sorry for anyone who like really is like in love with Charles Dickens, but like it's it's not good. It's not the best of times. It's not the worst He's of times. Okay? We're just it's not. It's not. Like, she, and that's what you got. Like that's kind of what the standard was. So her being a woman and not choosing not to use like an alternative pen name either at the good time was very different. So in nineteen eleven, Leonard Wolf returned from the East, and he resigned from the colonial service. So they got married yes, in 1912. Leonard is, like, the cutest. So I'm going to keep calling him Leo. I don't. I feel like we'd be friends, so I feel like that's okay. Next it makes sense to me, Leo. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. After he resigned from the service, he also became a writer, and he wrote a lot of political stuff, and he was an advocate for justice and peace. So they were a really cool power I couple. that. I think. Mm -hmm. Between 1910 and 1915, her mental health was precarious, quote unquote. Um, she wrote, but she based a lot of her characters on real people. So she looked at her, um, her sister who was, she got engaged, she got married, she had an affair, she went, she had kids. She oh, went, hot so damn. She based on... Yeah, like her sister had a really very colorful very interesting life. Escapades, yeah. But during the whole process, she was constantly worried about failure as a writer, as a woman. She thought her sister hated her, and she just thought that Leo didn't love her. So she had this constant mm. negative thoughts and constant like. Well, I'm doing really great, but, and there's always that. Yeah, know, that like imposter syndrome that um, comes in. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, imposter syndrome. She did attempt suicide in 1913. Um, and they actually kind of looking back at it, determined that what she would have is manic depression. Oof. Like manic depression. Oof. So. That's hard. It wasn't obviously identified. They didn't know how to treat it. But this is kind of what, like, based on all, everything, this is what it was. Um, one of the biographers said, quote, for her, a normal mood of excitement or depression would become inexplicably magnified so that she could no longer find herself sane, her sane, balanced self, unquote. So it makes sense. Like, it sounds it, like it a totally Tuesday. It totally makes sense that that would be. I get it. Yeah, it's. Makes sense that that would be the diagnosis because of all the stuff. Yeah. Um, she even confessed at one point, and I totally get where her mind is at. The only way I keep afloat is by working. When I start working, I feel that I'm sinking yep. down. I totally get that because on your worst days, if you're doing something, you kinda, it, it kind of pushes everything back. So I totally get what she's yep. saying. Um, it doesn't make anything better. Nope. It doesn't make her feel any better. But at the very, it doesn't make them go away. Especially because she wasn't on any medication or anything. But there, we'll, we'll talk about what she did try because she did try to get help. Um, her novel, The Voyage Out, was delayed, but it was published in 1915. This is the reason why it was delayed. It was just a matter of like she was trying to overcome her mental imagination. She had this constant thought she wasn't good enough. Her writing wasn't good enough. So she kind of like edited things like over excess. Um, once they were published, she kind of had this like, oh my gosh, everybody hates it. When you're a creator of anything, yep. it, it makes sense. Like that's the thought process. Absolutely. So you get nervous. Every Tuesday. Please keep listening. It's clear. It's good. At some point, do, there'll be a little glimmer. Do, like do you it? like me? Why? Do like <laughs> <laughs> do, they're like, Sam's fine, but Jen fucking sucks. Oh my God. No, wait, like, like, oh, like, Jen is so good at this. <laughs> Why am I even here? This is, it just makes sense yeah. because this is like, Things you're, so you're sharing something yep. with the world. That you're so proud of like, too. Like you're yeah. so, like we are so, so proud. Yeah. So if somebody comes back and is like, by the way, your fucking editor sucks. I'd be like, oh, <gasps> heartbroken <laughs> forever. 
or if one of your listeners is listening to an episode and texts you while you're recording an episode and tells you you didn't see Peabody, right? Because it's Peabody. Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You know what? It doesn't sound right. It's Peabody. We're going through puberty, Tracy. We're going to Peabody. Only you Massachusetts people say Peabody. Oh, my God. That's so I forgot that that happened. And you're like, what the fuck? I was like, I didn't even know you said it wrong. So I knew I said it wrong. I knew I said Peabody the way I said it. Because I looked at you and went, oh, yeah, you know, the Peabody Essex Museum? You would have looked at me and been like, what? Crazy say what? How many Massachusetts people call it Peabody? Oh, my gosh. She did try to go to a psychiatrist. Okay, good. But treatment suck because it was a matter of like we don't know what's wrong so like I you could have a lobotomy what? or you could sit out in the sun or you could yeah. go drink alcohol the to excess and that would be fine i mean like, that's it you do cocaine well, about it we could you know you're depressed do cocaine what? about it we could do opium? that opium opium's always good laudum yeah that that's safe. a good one one of the treatments involved pulling out her teeth oh no like, what does that have How to does do that with make anything? my brain feel better? Now I'm ugly. I can't eat. Like, how does that help my mental health? So this is where she really excelled with the feminism ideas. She inspired critical distinctions between the feminine and the masculine. So she felt feminine was being buried, but embracing ways of experiencing the world. Whereas to the masculine way of thinking is kind of embracing things that are more linear, which makes sense because guys have a way of like, this is the problem. I need to fix it. As opposed to women who are like, let's view it from different angles. What's causing the problem? Um, let's fix that. Yes. <laughs> so the um, there's a really great book I read called um, Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti. It's really cool because it goes into the different like thought process of like how women think versus how men do. And it's very interesting. I walked away from it being like, holy shit, that's the reason why we get mad at our partners when they're like, we're trying to fix something. And we're like, we don't want you to fucking fix it. We just want you to listen to us. And it's like, that makes sense. I literally, before we jumped on here to record, Ken's watching Home Improvement, like old episodes on like Hulu or something. And I'm like, oh my God, I I forgot about this show. And Jill and Tim are fighting. And she's like, and he's like, I'm trying to fix it. And I literally was like, she doesn't want you to fix it. She wants you to bitch and say what an asshole those fucking people are and support her in her thoughts. But, and Ken looked at me and was like, are you good? And I'm like, no, these 90s problems are still here today. Thank you for coming to my DB squared. 1917, her and Leo bought a small printing press where she published a lot of her novels. He was hoping that this would help her with her mental health because they did it together. He was so good to her. Like, they were such a perfect couple. Like, she, he was wonderful. Um, they moved back to London. So it was a little, it was nice to have that, like, suburban type of area. She also had a little bit of a risque lesbian affair. Love that for her, hey? Um, it's kind of unclear. I didn't really see if... Leo knew about it, but it was like, I'm okay with it. Or like, I, it kind of was just like, she had an affair with Vita Sackville West, who was also a novelist and like loved her. So they talked about their work and got into a little bit of a, a risque affair. But I wasn't sure if, again, her and Leo stayed together, but I wasn't sure if he knew about the affair or if this was just kind of a, you know. So 1925, she wrote Mrs. Dalloway. Um, which eventually turned into a a retelling. So someone did retell the book in a more modern era and also turned into a movie, which is wonderful. This particular, and I actually really wanted to read it because of the fact that she tried to pair up two different personalities. So she had a highly sensitive woman who is kind of in a relationship, kind of dealing with a person who is a shell-shocked war victim. Mm. She was considered the earliest feminist of the time she was constantly trying to break boundaries 
she reinvented the Victorian novel so that it wasn't just a, a guy's club. So it was very nice that. and it was awesome. The other thing that she had said, which I, I love this quotation that I found, a feminist is any woman who tells the truth about her life. I thought that was just so yes. awesome. I love she's, that. I don't know. My, my like English major nerd came out and I was like, oh, I love it. I love it. 1934, Vanessa's husband ended up dying. And her oldest son died in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, my God. That was going on at the time. So she stopped writing to console Vanessa and to be with family at the time. During that time frame as well, 1939, we have the beginning of World War II in England. So for us, we didn't really get involved until later, but this was kind of a very scary, depending on where you're where you're at. We as Americans kind of see it as we're on this side of the water and we're like, we're seeing what's going on over there and we're going to help. But if you're in the middle of it, it is more, we don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. So it seemed, it seemed as though England was on the verge of an invasion. Virginia was affected by this very deeply and so that kind of added to her already depressive state um and she just continued to grow worse to the point where the demons of self-doubt that she had kept at bay for so long returned to haunt her Mm. according to the biography so march 28 1941 leo sensed that something wasn't quite right she seemed a little bit not herself so he suggested she go outside get some air you know rest do your thing she kind of felt like she lacked the resilience to continue. So this is kind of where we're going to get into this little trigger warning. So I'm just letting you guys know. Um, she wrote Leo a note, which I'm going to read parts, not the whole thing, because it's, it's a lot. Like, I started crying when I was reading it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. She walked behind Monk's house to River Oust, which is actually very beautiful. I have some pictures on the drive. She put stones in her pockets and she walked out into the water and she just went to drown. So Leo found the note, followed her footprints, went to the riverbank. But by that point, it was too late. The body had been swept away. And actually, her body wasn't found until three weeks later because of the water. And Wow. Yeah. So um, her note pieces... She, this is such a beautiful like retelling of like how of their life and how wonderful the two of them were. Dearest, I feel certain that I'm going mad again. Feel we can't go through another of these terrible times, and I shan't recover this time. I begin to hear voices and I can't concentrate, so I'm doing what seems to be the best to do. What I want to say is I owe you all my happiness of my life to you. You have been entirely patient with me. And incredibly good. If anyone could have saved me, it would have been you. Everything is gone from me, but the certainty of your goodness, I don't think two people could have been happier than we had been. And it just made me cry. Like, yeah. No, I'm gonna. It's just. Oh, but. It's a cry. I'm sorry. I'm not crying. I'm fine. You're crying. I'm not crying. Just, You're crying. It's just I'm sorry. He says something in my eyes. But it just, they never had kids. They didn't really seem to talk about having kids. Um, he supported her in every single way that he possibly could have. And she admitted, it's, it has, it's nothing to, I just can't do this anymore. Like mentally, I just can't. Um, her death, though, when it was announced, other literary figures like t.s Eliot wrote it was the end of a world yeah so that's how impactful she was um she was like the person at the party that you wanted to talk to because she was so interesting so everyone once this happened were like but it's so being introverted extroverted kind of a mix between the two you don't really realize someone might be putting on the face to be like, I can handle social situations. So that's kind of what she was doing at this point. Yeah. If you haven't had to mask, you don't, you don't even know how to look for the signs of masking. You just don't get it. And that's exactly, it's okay. Like you're not expected to know it, but people who mask totally know, like you could call other people out all the time. It's 
kind of scary. Right. It's and it was hard. Um, she did have a short life, but she did have a wonderful. She made a huge impact on everything. Absolutely. Um, the really wonderful thing. She was cremated and Leo spread the ashes between or beneath two elm trees that were nicknamed Virginia and Leonard. Um, in their backyard. Leonard also had a stone engraved with the, one of the last lines of her novel called The Waves. Against you, I fling myself unvanquished, unyielding. Oh, death, the waves broke on the shore. So just wonderful, like, tribute to her. I, I don't know if it's still, obviously, I feel like it would still be a historic place that it would still be there. I but, would think. Um, but the really awesome thing that came from this and this terrible time her death actually inspired a team of researchers to create an app. I don't know what it's called that predicts a person's suicidal tendencies based on their writing. Wow. So, yeah, they look through diaries, texts, emails, social media posts, and they can kind of pick up if something's not quite right. So then they will automatically alert a caregiver on that. I think it should I just be something that's like built into Facebook. Like, why doesn't Facebook, I like, so, buy too. this? Like, they buy everything else. Just buy this app and put it into right. your algorithm. And then, you know, I mean, I don't I don't know what that does for, like, hey, who, who's, like, HIPAA bullshit or whose privacy are you violating? But, I mean, if it stops people from committing suicide or getting people more help that they need, then right. I think that's it. I would vote okay on that. Yeah, but I also think it's, like, you see all these like these true crime things where people were okay and then you slowly see their posts changing and people are like, yeah, this is a really weird text message I got. Yeah. This is a really weird Facebook post they made. And then something, God forbid, happens that you're like, this could have helped. Hindsight's so twenty twenty every time. I get your, what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It could be like a HIPAA thing, but I think it's such a cool idea. Yeah. I don't know what the app is called. I don't know um, if it's like a paid app or anything, but like it's, so awesome that they were like yeah good people sometimes it just it just gets too heavy so mike cunningham wrote the hours which is the um, retelling of mrs dalloway and that became a movie in 2002 so i'm i never saw the movie that was nicole kidman i never read the book yes so he actually in an interview was like i don't think that virginia would have liked my writing but I think she would have appreciated that I I did an homage to her. I, yeah. Which is just funny. But I think that that was just, um, I haven't read either. I think I want to, before I go into the hours, I think I want to read the original first. So I think I definitely want to read Mrs. Dalloway. Do it. Um, but yeah. But yeah, so that's that's Virginia Woolf. She was a badass for her time. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize all of the things that she contributed because, you know, there's so many, like, I'm more into like the gothic, you know, you? gothic horror, gotcha romanticism. What? So you? So I like. I'm like, oh, there's something different. Oh, yeah. you're you're into gothic horror, Trevor? What? You did it, Jack. But yeah, it was fun to learn about her. I feel like we would have been friends. We would have like been friends. Fun. Okay, she can join our group. She can sit with us Wednesdays. We she... wear pink. Oh gosh. Okay. So um. I'm going to make this the downer really quick. I hope you're ready. We just talked about some badass woman, and now we're going to talk about two little teenagers doing dumb shit. <laughs> well, okay. It's typical. Yeah, typical. All right. So I am covering the world-renowned author Anne Perry, who was actually born Juliet Marion Hume, H-U-L-M-E, Hume. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I hope I am. Um, she was born also in London, in Blackheath, London, on October 28, 1938. Um, she was diagnosed with TB at six. So she was kind of sent all over the place to try and like curb her tuberculosis. Um, so she hung out in Australia, South Africa. She was in the Caribbean. Again, just hoping that like the climate would make a difference for her lungs. Um, and as a British writer, 
She wrote over 100 works and is best known as the author of the Thomas and Charlotte Charlotte Pitt and William Monk series. So basically, they're historical detective detective novels. Okay, so we're going to call her Anne through the rest of this because that's the only way I'm going to remember or figure this out. Um, so she moved to Christchurch, New Zealand um, and met another little girl named Pauline Parker and they became best friends. This is their early teens. So let's say 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. Um, Anne and her parents moved to New Zealand because her dad got a new job. He was going to be the rector of the University of Canterbury. So a rector is basically the senior most official in any educational institution. So over here in the U.S., we would call that the president of the university. It was 1948. They moved over. And um, Anne was described as tall for her age, five foot, seven inches, and slim. She had shoulder-length light brown, light brown hair and clear pink and white complexion of an English hedge rose. So pretty. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, They lived in, they were provided accommodations by the university at a place called the Ilum Homestead. So basically it's like a huge mansion with like lots of grounds, all the beauty that, you know, this huge school could provide. Um. That makes yeah. sense. And then let's talk about Pauline, her little friend that she met. So it's Pauline Avon Parker Rapier. And her last name kind of comes into question a little bit, and I'll explain why. So she was born, Pauline was born May 26, 1938. She was one of four children. And she is described, get ready for this, a dark oh, and no. dumpy girl, five foot three inches tall with cold brown eyes gleaming watchfully from her olive-skinned face. She walked with the suspicion of a limp. When she was five years old, she contracted osteomyelitis. Fucking nailed it. As a result of which, she spent several months in hospital and for which, over a period of three years, she had several operations. So, wow, we have the hot friends and her little minion, basically. But whenever you repl- you you say someone looks dumpy, it's it's not... <laughs> don't be today like, i feel like what the fuck does that mean like what is that did i eat dumplings for dinner what did dumpy mean oh my it just makes you think like it's like it makes you think of john like, merrick like the elephant man like how he had like protrusions like his yeah, he had something like, here and then like, a tumor he, here and yes. makes me think of someone wearing like a bag and they're just like they're, everything's like so you know like everything's all like loose so they just kind of look like dumpy. oh my god you know, like one of those what flower sacks Way to be. Yeah. Fucking Dobby. Like, you have, honor. you have, you have, like, oh, she's a beautiful flower. And then it's fucking potato sack. <laughs> yeah. And then her little minion. Yes. All this picture with the fact being her description. Um, so, so Pauline was born to lower middle class parents. Her mom and dad actually worked for the university also. But her mom, Honora, was a part-time house staff. So basically she was like cleaning and like cooking and doing all that stuff. And then her dad was a part-time gardener and a fishmonger. So he did like, you know, he sold fish in his day job. And then part-time he would go and do like work on the grounds of the university. Now, her parents weren't actually married. They were living together. They never got married. So that's why later on we're going to hear like the issue with her last name. Both of the girls went to Christ Church Girls High School. Both girls connected on their medical issues. So, you know, one had TB, one had the osteomyelitis. And they started romanticizing the idea of being sick. I don't really know why that's like a fun thing to do. But I mean, I guess if you can let like, you know, put your hand on your forehead and be like, oh, well, it's me. I'm dying. I, I don't know. They're fucking weird. I I, I don't know. So the girls would spend all of their free time together. They'd write books. They'd write plays. They did. They wrote stories centered around a fantasy world that they created. Yeah, they came up with their own type of like little world. And they also, wait, wait, they also invented their own religion. Okay, it got weird. Is that where it got weird? I think it got weird now. Yeah. So they, they come. I think it's getting weird. 
getting. Oh my god, Jen, do you want to come over to my house and we'll create our own religion and make up our own world and we can start our own language and like do great things? Oh my god, like it, it it started to be like, oh, okay, this is normal, and then you started going on, and I'm like, this is weird. Okay, got weird. So they completely rejected Christianity. I mean, I get it. Um, they created their own ideas of morality. They worshipped their own saint. And then they imagined of their own version of heaven that they called the fourth world. And I guess this fourth world is like their other, like, their fantasy world that they came up with. Like, that's how they're doing this. So it was called the fourth world. And according to them, in moments of spiritual enlightenment, they were able to enter the fourth world. And according to Pauline, they achieved spiritual enlightenment because of their friendship. Fun. All right. All right. So cool. So they were so close that their parents were actually concerned they could be having like a lesbian relationship because that's what oh, we're worried about. Be scared. Hey, oh my God. They, they could like the tacos more than the sausage. What will we do? Not the fact that, hey, our girls are sitting in the backyard coming up with their own fucking world and religion. That, that's fine. You can do that. But heaven forbid they're lesbian. That's terrible. Yeah, the, the, it's just too scandalous. That's the end. Well, back then, it was thought of to be a mental illness. Like, homosexuality was still considered a, yes. a mental illness at this time. Um, But they didn't stop them being friends. Like, they didn't intervene. They weren't like, yeah, don't go there. Like, Pauline was still absolutely welcome in Anne's house. Um, They even still had sleepovers. She would get to hang out for the weekend and weeks at a time at Elan Homestead. Like, so nobody actually put a stop. Neither set of the parents were like, hey, wait, maybe we should... um you know, maybe monitor this a little bit more. They were like, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. Oh shit, they're having a lesbian relationship and we're very upset about this. But let's let them hang out all the time anyway and not do anything about it. I, I don't know. that. Who am I? So finally in 53, Pauline was not invited to hang out for the summer at Alon. And then in 54, in 54, Anne had like so much going on. So first off, her parents separated. Her mom had an affair. And her dad lost his job from the university due to issues with the faculty and the board over there. I don't really know what happened, but Uh he had to, quote unquote, resign. We all know what that means. Yeah, we know what that means. So her parents, Ian's parents decided they're going to go back to London. You know, they're going to go separately, but they're both going back to London. And they were going to send Ian over to South Africa to live with family because, you know, she still had tuberculosis. They were still very worried about her TB and they wanted her to, you know, be able to survive. So they were sending her over South Africa for her health. And the two were absolutely heartbroken by this. Like, you know, you're basically ripping apart their world. And nobody did anything before this. So there was no actual, like, working them into, hey, we're not going to spend time together anymore. It was just, no, right. pull the bandaid off. This is what's happening. So Anne suggested to Pauline that she ask her parents if she could move to South Africa with Anne, you know, just stay with her family. And Pauline said her mother would never allow this to happen. So the two, you know, very smart, very over-enthusiastic, very imaginary girls, put together a plan to kill Pauline's mom so they could just remove the obstacle and then they could you know, live together in South Africa. Because that's what you do, you know. If there's an obstacle in your way, you just murder it. It's great. Oh, wait, wait. I mean, if it's part of their religion, then I suppose it's okay. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. And they didn't say murder, they said moiter. Like, like they were from Brooklyn. I we're going to murder him, don't you see? Moiter. M-O-I-V-E-R. Moiter. I thought that was so funny. Moiter, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the long-term plan for all of this was that they would, you know, get rid of the mom, move to South Africa together, because, you know, the dad wasn't going to stop them, just the mom. Um, no, it's just mom. Yeah, it's only mom's problem. <laughs> then um, they would go from South Africa, after a while, they'd go to Hollywood in New York, where they could have their works, like all those books and stories and plays that they wrote, they could have all that published and or turned into movies. So, here we go. June 22nd, 
1954, 16-year-old Pauline and 15-year-old Anne had an afternoon tea with Pauline's mom, Honora, in a tea shop in Victoria Park, Christ Church. About 3 p.m., they had finished their meal and they set off to stroll down an overgrown walkway. They were basically going on like a little nature walk through the park and like, look at all the pretty flowers and look at all this stuff. So Anne ran ahead and started dropping pretty stones from her pockets. They had been collecting them all week. And the plan was that Honora would see the stones and hopefully bend down to pick up the pretty rock. I mean, this is exactly how, how I'm going to get murdered one day. I will be walking down a path and be like, oh, my God, look at that fucking rock. Holy shit. Look at definitely. this. How is doing here? And then I'm going to get, like, shanked or something. So Pauline and Honora are kind of, like, trying to turn the bend. They don't see Anne anymore because she's so far ahead. And Honora points out a pink rock and goes, Pauline, look at this pink rock. Isn't it beautiful? Where did this come from? I'm Honora, by the way. Um, and Pauline goes, Mom, Mom, that's a great word. Take that up. And Honora is like, they got this up. And as she bends down to pick up the pink rock, Pauline takes a brick that she had put into an old stocking and starts bludgeoning her mother over the head with it. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, no, and no. This, this just gives no, me. No, no. This is perfect. This, this, this just gives me of mice and men vibes. Oh, shit. Yes. Look at those fucking flowers, Lenny. <laughs> I'm so lonely. I definitely, yes. Yes, I see it. Um, okay. So the girls, you know, being 15 and 16, thought, one blow will do it. Yeah, just once over the head could crack. She'll be done. It actually took them over 20 hits with this brick in the stocking. So they thought Honora was dead. And mom, I, like, I, I mean, I'm not trying to say that you should, like, beat the shit out of your kids. But, like, I if someone's beating me with a brick, I'm going to do the anything I possibly can to be like, you know what, I'm going to stop this situation. Like, I, But I mean, maybe they hit her in the right way. I was going to say, like, she's I'm bent go over and they hit her in the back of it. the head. Like, that's going to, if it doesn't knock you out, you're definitely going to, like, see stars for a hut. You're going to be like, all right. like, what you're the right. fuck right. just happened? You're with your daughter and her best friend, who is, like, probably almost a second daughter to you. Like, you don't. And you're looking at rocks. Okay, you're looking at rocks. I'm looking at the ground in a pretty pink rock. Like, what just hit me? I would think, holy shit, a hook. Like, what the f*** happened? You have no clue. And then you get hit again, and then all of a sudden, everything's dark. You're not really realizing what's going on. I don't even think she had a shot. So Pauline then uh... said, after everything happened, the first blow caused her mom to collapse, and Pauline wanted to stop, but a force took over her, and forced her, a force took over her and forced her to continue wielding the brick in the stocking. When Anne heard the ruckus had started, she ran back and she actually took the weapon, so the brick in the stocking from Pauline, and she made sure to get a few blows in too. She was pissed that this mom, who never even knew what the question was, was going to say no. So fun. So they're done. They're done beating the mom. They're sobbing hysterically. They, you know, Honor is bleeding profusely from 20-plus gashes on her head and back from these girls. And they waited until the blood flow started to slow down before they ran to get help. They go back to the tea shop, and they find the owners, Agnes and Kenneth Ritchie, and they tell them, oh, my God, my mom fell. She, um, she fell and she hit her head. You know, oh, Pauline goes, Bobby, she... Well, I think she's dead. We tried to carry her, but she was too heavy. And then Anne continues, Yes, it's her mother. She's covered with blood. And Pauline keeps going, We were coming back along the track. Mommy tripped on a plank and hit her head when she landed, and she kept falling, and I heard her keep banging her head and bumping in as she fell. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a cartoon. Yeah, right? <laughs> So um, the girls pointed down the path saying, don't make us go back there. There's clenched oh. blood. So Agnes tells the girls, go to the sink and wash up. And as they're washing their hands and cleaning, 
they're laughing and giggling to themselves. Like they're joking and like playing with the water with each other and like, like nothing happened. So they went from being absolutely hysterical and panic to, oh my God, girl, talk wet. Do that. Like shit like that. So Kenneth is running down the path and he finds Otter's body under a pine tree. She had lacerations on her head, neck, and face and had also had minor injuries on her fingers. So I don't know if she was like trying to get away from them or, you know, what happened, but her fingers were all fucked up. He calls the police. The police come. They find the murder weapon in the woods in like 10 seconds because these girls are 15 and 16 and fucking stupid. Um, the coroner actually found 40 wounds on Honor's body. And obviously the girl's story fell apart like really quick. And within three weeks, they were charged with murder. So as the police start investigating, it comes out that Pauline's parents were not married. So her and Honora are now called Parker and not Ripier. And this trial that happens, this investigation, this trial is huge. So Anne and Pauline, they stand trial for Christchurch in 1954. Um, a lot of their evidence presented was their close relationship, their absorption with one another, and the fantasies about becoming famous novelists. Um, another people like their actual evidence that was presented was Pauline's diary in the coroner's report. And McCork was shocked by Pauline's diary because all she did was talk about the moida. She couldn't wait to do the moida. She died. I was just going to say sugar moida. Yeah, she does. She does. So on February 23rd, 1954, her diary read, why could mother not die? Dozens. Dozens of people are dying. Why not mother? And father too. Life is very hard. Yeah, bitch. April 28th. Anger against mother pulling inside me as she is the main obstacle in my path. Suddenly, means of ridding myself of this obstacle of terror. If she were to die. Then June 20th. Deborah and I talked for some time. Deborah's in. Afterwards, we discussed oh, our man. plans for moitering mother and made them clear. But, peculiarly enough, what? I have no qualms or conscience. Or is it peculiar? We are so made. The term moiter had apparently been acquired by the pair when they were reading um, a crime fiction that was set in Brooklyn. That's where the moiter murdered people. Hold on, Johnny. We can moiter these you got a white on this one. So then on June 21st, um, Deborah rang and we decided to use a brick in a stocking rather than a sandbag. Mother has fallen in with the plans beautifully. Feel quite heat up. I think that means excited and like British, but I don't know. Uh, and then finally, June 22nd. I felt very excited last night, a sort of night before Christmas. But I did not have pleasant dreams. I am about to rise. And at the top of the page for June 22nd, it was headed the day of the happy event. Of the Moida. Of the Moida. <laughs> so Anne testified, I gave the brick to Pauline. I know it was to be put in a stocking. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen when we went to Victoria Park. I thought we might have been able to frighten Mrs. Ripier, um with the brick and she would have given her consent for me and Pauline to see together. I saw Pauline hit her mom with the brick in the stocking. I took it and hit her too. After the first few blows were struck, I knew it would be necessary for us to kill her. I was terrified. Hysterical. And then Pauline testified, I killed my mother. Had made up my mind to do it some days before. I don't know how many times I hit her. A great many, I imagine. So both girls were found guilty on August 28th. They were too young to be considered for the death penalty under New Zealand law. But at the time they were convicted, they were sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. So what that means, that's a term it's used to describe detention for a prisoner of an indefinite length. So a judge can rule a person be detained at her or His Majesty's pleasure for serious offenses based on a successful insanity defense. 
and sometime, or if this is you, this can also be used if some they feel someone is at great risk of reoffending, but it's not like the worst offense they could have done. Does that make sense? Like if somebody is showing yeah, no, like a mental issue and they're like attacking people and they're like, no, no, I'm going to be better. It's like, okay, well, you just attacked them. You didn't kill anybody, but we're going to keep you in jail anyway because, you know, we don't want you doing this again. Um, And it's also used for juvenile offenders, like in this situation where you can't give a kid a life sentence because they're not even like their brain hasn't even right. fully formed. They don't they know they murdered somebody, but the whole ramification of the action doesn't really make sense yet. Right. So it's just really to make sure like a juvenile offender is sentenced and they can be rehabilitated or like we can redefine whatever it is in a few years and all that. But they're not going to get out in let's say five years or 10 years. Like they could be, it could be seven years. Right. It could be three years. It could be 20 years. It really just depends on them. Because in New Zealand, they actually try and rehabilitate people. They don't just throw them away and lose the key. Amazing, right? Like they actually want to help people. Hmm. America, what are we doing? It is also thought there was a contingency of their sentence that if they were released, they would they would never contact each other again. Um, that was found to not be true. That that was never a contingency. Oh. The the two girls once they were released, which I'm getting to in a second, um, they just never saw each other again. It just kind of happened that way. So Anne was sentenced to Mount Eden Prison in Auckland, and Pauline was sent to Arahata Borstal, nailed it, near Wellington, and they were released separately five years later. So in prison, Perry became the only child inmate, and she, she was in solitary for a while. She was really scared. You know, she knew she was guilty. It was the right place for her to be. She did hard labor during the day, but after two weeks of the hard labor, she collapsed. So they moved her into the room where people would sew uniforms for the people in the prison. Oh, okay. And the woman who was in charge of the sewing room kind of took a shine to her and would look out for her. And she wrote to her weekly until she died. Like the the woman who ran the sewing room, like they Aww. really cre had, like, had a bond. Um, and Pauline finished high school from prison. After prison, Pauline was given a brand new identity. Her new name was Hillary Nathan. I don't know what the point of giving somebody a new identity if you're going to release the name is, but. And that, that, that released the name anyway. Yeah. Like, I mean, go. cool. Good job. Um, so Hillary Nathan, she lived in New Zealand for at least six months under the parole program. And then she left for England as soon as she was allowed. In 92, she was living in the small village. Who? H-O-O. Um, she ran a child's writing school. She became a devout Catholic. And in 96, she released a statement through her sister where it was Pauline, you know, Hillary, committed the most terrible crime and has spent 40 years repaying it by keeping away from people and doing her own little thing. After it happened, she was very sorry about it, but it took her five years to really realize what she had done. Mm -hmm. Anne, who was released to 21, immediately left New Zealand and went to join her family in Italy. Um, later in life, she settled in Scotland and became a very a very successful historical detective novelist under her new name, Anne Perry. And when commenting on the murder, she said she made a profoundly wrong decision. No shit. She added that she feared Pauline would take her own life if they didn't do that, and then it would be her fault in the end. And like I said before, the girls never saw each other again. So this Moidak formed the basis of the 1994 film Heavenly Creatures, in which Melanie Linsky portrayed a teenage Polly Parker and Kate Winslet is the teenage Juliet Hume or Anne Perry. And at the time of the film's release, it was not really like common knowledge that Anne Perry was Juliet Hume. So this kind of like, oh. yeah, it kind of like pulled away the curtain and people were like, the Everyone's fuck? like, what? yeah, kind of <laughs> like when people realize that Matthew Broderick killed two women in Ireland in like a car crash. You're like, what? That happened? It's like, yeah, no, that definitely yeah. happened. And you like kind of were like, that's not great. Oh, yeah. So although presumed that, you know, Ian Perry and 
Pauline relationship was sexual. Perry later stated in 2006, they were absolutely obsessed with each other, but the two were never lesbians. Anne died April 10th, 2023, at the age of 84 from complications of a heart attack. And at the time of her death, it is not believed that Pauline or Anne had had any contact since the trial. And that is the case of Anne Perry. So, these are some thoughts. What did we learn? Tell me your thoughts. Well, well, one thing is, I, I know, and I told you about this before, there is a Simpsons episode. Oh, shit. I told you I was going to forget. Um, I'm so that glad is, that you brought it up again. That is, that is based on off of this case now it it doesn't include the moida but it includes like the the fantasy world and these two girls and the parents being like it's kind of uncomfortable how they're so obsessed with each other um it's great i think it's um i can't remember what it's actually called but i think it's from season i want to say season 20 um and it's because when you were telling me this i was like i know the story (laughs) But I also remember the Simpsons episode and I was like, oh, shit, they did that. But I also have some um, thoughts that um, I kind of think that she was trying to call a little bullshit when she's like, well, if we didn't kill mom, she was there was possibility she might kill herself. You both decided this together. It, it had not like what the fuck you can't. No, it's almost like during the trial, like when she was like, you know. I didn't know what was going to happen that day. Yeah, she's trying to, like, put as much space between her and this murder as possible. It's like, yeah, we talked about right. it, but I didn't really think she'd do it. I thought we would just dare her mom into it. But she puts it on Pauline. She's okay. like, yeah, I didn't really think she'd do it. I thought we would dare her. I think it's not really fair to throw your friend under the bus when you both were like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And then you're like, I mean, I don't know. I said so, but I don't really know. Like, I didn't know. What I didn't think she was really going to do it. You collected goddamn rocks. You, you dropped the rocks. Like, you literally you did the Hansel like, and Gretel thing. What were you doing? What, what was the point? If you yeah. didn't think she was going to hit her, why would you set it doing? up? Like, what were you doing? Like, it, it just doesn't, like. Yeah. So, what what did we learn today? Um, I learned. Don't look at fucking pretty rocks on the goddamn trail when you're out. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I did not learn that because if I'm walking outside and I see a pretty rock, I'm still bending down to pick it up. I'm just saying. I I, I will not learn that. I can't learn that lesson. I My ADD will not allow it. What I did learn is that as soon as I see my daughter becoming crazily obsessed with another daughter... Um, or another little girl, and they start coming up with their own saints, maybe I need to step in and kind of just be like, hey, I understand she's your best friend, but maybe we can have a girl time. How about we go get pedicures without your little friends? And like, just create a little bit of distance. I'm not yeah. saying don't let them be friends. I mean, they absolutely can be friends, but there are other things in this world than that one human. Work on the obsessive part yeah. of that. Of that whole thing. And I don't have yeah. kids, so I could be totally um, wrong. But that's what I would do. Um, yeah. I, you know. Maybe, yeah, have a discussion and be like, so I noticed that this is going on. Uh, let's find some hobbies. Like, let's, yeah. Let's other than creating else. your own religion in our backyard with scene and. That's what I. Craziness. What 15-year-old yeah. is talking about religious enlightenment? spiritual enlightenment like please tell me um i'm gonna go off on a limb here because i am a teacher and i'm gonna say non <laughs> like i, I just go out do they even know what spiritual enlightenment I, really is I other know. than the term i know i know what they talk about and it is it's not this yeah thank you thank you that that's what i learned i also learned on a much more serious note when you do feel like you're at the bottom, like we said at the beginning of this episode, when you feel like you're at the bottom, there's always somebody there who wants to help you. There's always somebody yes. who will put out their hand. And it's hard. It's hard in that moment to want. It's hard to want the help. It's not only hard to ask mm-hmm. for the help, but it's hard to want the help. Force yourself to want the help because we want you here. That's yeah. what I learned. And there are so many resources now that can help. Absolutely. That are really great. So. Okay, Jen. So there's our 
There's our English major episode for you. Oh, that's really good. Like, make me so happy. So, so happy. Yeah. And also now I'm walking away with a moida. Moida. I'm saying that all day. You're a moida guy. Watch out. I'm going to moida you. That's literally what I think. So I'm like, all right. I'm almost picturing who framed Roger Rabbit. You know, the guys who go with Christopher Lloyd, the like little weasels or whatever, the weasel gang. And there's suits. It's exactly it. Oh, well, thanks for listening, fam. So excited. Um, Please make sure you're following our social media. We still have our giveaway going. So for the giveaway, you have to like the post, which is probably going to get reposted this week. Like the post. Um, follow us on Facebook and Instagram and then tag three friends. And then after those first three friends, any additional friends you tag, you get extra votes. So you could tag everyone yeah. you know and get like a billion votes. And we're actually adding to the um, prize. So now you're not just getting a T-shirt and a travel mug and stickers. And I think there was something else. But you're also going to get to pick a topic for us to do in April. So yeah. holy shit, jump on board because that means you're going to get a shout out to Yeah. And we are pulling, so that's exciting. we're pulling the winner of the giveaway on February 1st. So make sure you do all this before then. Otherwise, you don't get entered. Um, make sure that you are reading, review, subscribing, um, whether it be Spotify, LinkedIn, Facebook. We appreciate and love reviews. Um, it actually helps us get our name out there a lot more. So thank you so much for everybody who has done it. Please keep doing things like that. Make sure you tell your friends. And um, if you want to find our merch or possibly join our Patreon where you get more stories, bloopers. Um, we have a book club, all that good stuff over on Patreon. Go to our website, deathbeforebooze.com. You'll have links to our merch and our Patreon page. And I think I got it off. Yay. Yeah. Whoop. There's some really cool Patreon stuff this month and next month. Oh, my gosh. Jen doing May the West Memphis 3. And I'm absolutely terrified because she already told me the part, the first part. And I was really scared. And then in holding up for Christmas, we did Jean Binet. So there's a lot of good stuff over there. So if you're like, oh, there's nothing else for me to listen to over here on Spotify or iTunes, go for Patreon. There's a ton of shit to hear. Join us. Join us. Yes, it's a lot of Join fun. Join us. We have fun. <laughs> One of us. One of us. <laughs> All right. Love you, fam. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Love you Bye. guys. Stay. Stay spooky.